Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast, Episode 104, Yuri Andropov, Konstantin Chernenko, and the Rise of Mikhail Gorbachev. Last time, we covered the era of stagnation and the end of the corrupt rule of Leonid Brezhnev. Now, we begin the homestretch of Russian Soviet leaders as we're down to our last five men, Andropov, Chernenko, Gorbachev, Yeltsin, and Putin. Now, some of you out there might be saying, hey, wait a minute, what about Medvedev? Well, I'm going to undoubtedly mention him. He really wasn't the true boss. But I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the things I'd like to also uh, clean up here on our podcast is I made a promise that I'd give you an overdrive version of the uh, uh, podcast every other week. Uh, but life happens, and it just didn't happen this past week. But I'm going to give you two this week to make up for it. And one was a suggestion made by Logan, one of our Facebook friends at the Russian Rulers History Podcast. And Logan asked if we could maybe do something for Halloween. Now, since we have a very international uh, crowd of listeners here, some of you may not know, uh, Halloween is celebrated on October 31st. And I will be doing a reading of a... Uh, a story from Russian history, not kind of history, but more of just a folk uh, story that has a little bit to do with the devil, so kind of apropos for Halloween. So I hope you're going to enjoy that, and then I'll give you another reading from the Primary Chronicles later on in the week. So let's get back to uh, the podcast here. When it came to selecting the next head of the Soviet state, there were very few capable candidates with any power except Yuri Andropov and Konstantin Chernenko. So when it came to a vote on November 12, 1982, just two days after Brezhnev's death, and drop-off, the KGB head, was chosen as the new general secretary with little opposition. Yuri Vladimirovich Andropov was born on June 15, 1914, in the Stavropol region to a railway official, Vladimir Andropov, and his wife, Evgenia Flexstein, both of whom died early, leaving Yuri an orphan by the age of 13. His education was typical of later Politburo members, which consisted of either a high school education or training at a technical school. Andropov was trained at the Rybinsk Water Transport Technical College. He joined the Communist Youth Organization, the Komsomol, in 1930, joining the Communist Party nine years later. He became first secretary of the Komsomol of the Soviet Kirillo-Finnish Republic from 1940 to 1944, where he was also a member of the Partisan Guerrilla Group in Finland during the Great Patriotic War, also known as World War II. By 1947, he was the second secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Kirillo-Finnish SSR. Because of his excellent track record, he was transferred to Moscow in 1951 to become part of the party apparatus, and three years later he was made ambassador to Hungary. He was instrumental in convincing Nikita Khrushchev to use the military to intervene during the Hungarian rebellion and to crack down on Imre Naj and other dissident Hungarian leaders. The events in Budapest were to shape his mindset until the day he died. As historian Christopher Andrew would write in his book, The Mitrokine Archive, the KGB in Europe and the West, quote, 
He had watched in horror from the windows of his embassy as officers of the hated Hungarian Secret Service were strung up from lampposts. And Dropoff remained haunted for the rest of his life by the speed with which an apparently all-powerful communist one-party state had begun to topple. When other communist regimes later seemed at risk in Prague in 1968, in Kabul in 1979, in Warsaw in 1981, he was convinced that, as in Budapest in 1956, only armed force could ensure their survival. After successfully dealing with the Hungarian Revolution, he was recalled to Moscow to head one of the numerous bureaucratic apparatuses of the Communist Party. Gradually, he moved up the ladder until 1967, when he was named head of the KGB, when Vladimir Semichastny was sacked for his backing of Shalepin. Immediately, he went to work on crushing the dissident movement known as the Prague Spring. According to historian Andrew, he fabricated information fed not only to the public, but to the Politburo, which indicated that NATO was involved in a potential coup, which was nothing further from the truth. He further convinced the Politburo that military intervention was the only way to handle the situation. Within the Soviet Union itself, Andropov reverted to Stalinist suppression of dissent, but without the torture per se. He used psychiatric hospitals to imprison dissidents. He fully believed that, quote, the struggle for human rights was a part of a wide-ranging imperialist plot to undermine the foundation of the Soviet state. By 1969, he had presented a plan to create a network of psychiatric hospitals to defend the, quote, Soviet government and socialist order. He truly believed that anyone who would say anything derogatory about the USSR must be crazy and just need a treatment. He was also one of the driving forces behind the invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, as he felt, as he did with Hungary and Czechoslovakia, that a military response was the only way to protect communist interests in the region. When he left the KGB in 1982, he was the longest-serving head of that spy agency. He took over as the head of ideological affairs until Brezhnev died in November, when he was made general secretary and head of the Soviet Union. Obviously, the West viewed Andropov with great suspicion, as he was the first former KGB head to ascend to the top position. Andropov was a very smart and shrewd man, and looked around and saw how decayed and corrupt the system had become under Brezhnev. He was also aware that many Brezhnev conservatives still populated the Politburo and the Central Committee, which included people like Tikhanov, Shushurbitsky, Grishin, and Chernenko. On his side were Defense Minister Ustinov and the longtime head of the Foreign Ministry, Andrei Grumiko, known in the West as Mr. Nyet. Andropov was an ideologue who disdained the incompetent bureaucrats who populated Moscow and the other capitals of the republics that made up the Soviet Union. He firmly believed that Marxism-Leninism was the right model for running the government, but it was hindered by criminally corrupt officials. In his short tenure as general secretary, he sacked 18 ministers, 37 first secretaries of various Communist Party committees, and initiated numerous criminal trials for corruption. 
He also made all of this public as a show to the people that change was in the air. Andropov believed that through discipline and order that the goal of Lenin could be achieved. But he did not just focus on the nomenklatura apparatchiks. He extended it to everyone in society. If you showed up late for work, you were penalized. No more leaving work to go do some chores, which, while logical, caused Soviet women, and in particular wives, great hardships. In Russia, the woman was responsible for all things family and running the household in general. Since they almost all had to work to make ends meet, they needed time during the day to stand in lines for food or other day-to-day -day consumer goods. So this rule had unintended consequences which did not endear him to the average citizen. Andropov actually really wanted to improve the lives of Soviet system, citizens. rather. The problem was that the system was corrupt to such an extent that it had no way of being cleaned up. But the Soviet leader thought it his duty to try nonetheless. To help him, he drew three younger members close to him as advisors. The three party members were Yegor Ligachev, Nikolai Rishkov, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev was to oversee the entire economy along with his job as overseer of agriculture. Rizkov was appointed to lead a new economic department responsible for industry, with Ligachev leading the organizational department. Another young gun who helped Andropov was Viktor Chebrikov, head of the KGB. Problems internationally caused great consternation within the Politburo due to the saber-rattling of U.S. President Ronald Reagan. On March 8, 1983, Reagan made his famous speech in which he called the Soviet Union the evil empire. Two weeks later, he announced the creation of the Strategic Defense Initiative, also known as Star Wars, in April, and in May, he had a massive naval exercise which made the military leaders in the Kremlin edgy and nervous. All KGB agents abroad were given, quote, permanent operational assignments to uncover NATO preparations for a nuclear attack on the USSR. And Dropov did not trust Reagan, saying, Reagan is unpredictable. You should expect anything from him. The U.S. president, for his part, sent a drop-off a handwritten note on July 11th in which he said, quote, Historically, our predecessors have made better progress when communicating has been private and candid. If you wish to engage in such communication, you will find me ready. It was rejected as the Soviet leader did not believe Reagan's motives were sincere or genuine. Things got even more tense when on September 1st, 1983, Korean airline flight 007, with U.S. Congressman Larry McDonald aboard, was shot down by a Soviet Su-15 fighter plane piloted by Major Gennady Ospovich. All 289 people on board perished. At first, the Soviets denied shooting it down. Then they later admitted it, but claimed that the passenger aircraft was actually a spy plane. It kind of seems strange that Andropov made the decision to initially deny the incident, but his health by now was deteriorating rapidly. By late September, he would enter the hospital, 
never coming out again alive. Now, for those of you who'd like more information about the shooting down of KAL Flight 007, you're going to have to wait until I do a podcast on it in the future, once we're done with Putin. And I tell you, everything that I've read about it, it is a fascinating subject, and we will definitely have an entire podcast just on this episode. With Andropov unable to attend Politburo or Central Committee meetings due to ill health, there was a lot of maneuvering going on to see who would take over when his inevitable death came about. According to his aide, Arkady Volsky, Andropov wanted to hand things over to Mikhail Gorbachev. On an agenda written by the Soviet leader to the gathering Central Committee plenum, he states, quote, Members of the Central Committee know that due to certain reasons, I am unable to come to the plenum. I can neither attend the meetings, the Politburo, nor the Secretariat. Therefore, I believe Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev should be assigned to preside over the meetings of the Politburo and the Secretariat. Konstantin Chernenko, Viktor Grishin, Nikolai Tikhanov, and Dmitry Ustinov made sure that that part of the agenda did not see the light of day. When Volsky complained to Chernenko, he was warned, think nothing of any addendum. Then he saw his aide, Bogolyubov, and said, Klavdi Mikhailovich, there was a paragraph from Andropov's speech. He led him off to the side and said, who do you think you are, a wise guy? Do you think your life ends with this? Volsky then said, in that case, I'll have to phone Andropov. And Chernenko's aide replied, then that will be your last phone call. Andropov was angry when Volsky told him what had happened at the plenum, but there was little he could do considering his state of health. Andropov's kidneys by now were failing, and he was by January of 1984 unable to physically get out of bed. On February 9th, 1984, Yuri Vladimirovich Andropov died. His reign as Soviet leader lasted a mere 15 months. After the state funeral, Konstantin Chernenko ascended to the post as leader of the USSR. His time at the top was to be even shorter than his predecessor. Konstantin Ustinovich Chernenko was born on September 24, 1911, and has been called the last Bolshevik leader and his reign was considered nothing more to be than a continuation of Brezhnev's corrupt ways, undoing some of the reforms of Andropov. Born to a very poor family in Bolshaya Tess in eastern Siberia, Chernenko was poorly educated and lived a hard life in his youth. When he was 18, he joined the Komsomol and by 21 became a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. Chernenko served as a guard on the Soviet-Chinese border in the early 1930s. His nondescript career moved him slowly up the ranks, where he was to meet two men, Fyodor Kulikov, Mikhail Gorbachev's mentor, and Leonid Brezhnev, whom he met while heading the propaganda department in the Moldavian Soviet Socialist Republic. When Brezhnev became chairman of the Presidium of the so Supreme Soviet, Chernenko became his chief of staff. By 1971, he became a full member of the Central Committee. In 1977, he became a candidate member of the Politburo, with full membership coming a year later. 
Because of his close relationship with Brezhnev, many in the outside world fully expected him to take over when his boss died, but Andropov outmaneuvered him. When Andropov died, Nikolai Tikhanov nominated his friend Chernenko, despite his poor health, bypassing the younger Gorbachev. His policies during his 13 months in office were not of much note except his decision to boycott the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles as retribution for the Americans' boycott of the Moscow Games in 1980. He also continued the Cold War policies that plagued relations between the U.S. and the USSR. One of the reasons for his election, despite his lackluster personality and mediocrity, was because he could not continue Andropov's, or he would not continue Andropov's anti-corruption campaign. Many of Brezhnev's cronies were comfortable and just wanted to return to the old days. To top all of this off, the aging Politburo was also beginning to die off, an example being Dmitry Ustinov dying in December of 1984. During his last months, Chernenko suffered from emphysema, heart disease, hepatitis, and cirrhosis of the liver. On February 22, 1984, he was dragged out of the hospital by Victor Grishin for a photo opportunity to show the two men together while voting. It was Grishin's childish way of getting publicity as he wanted to replace Chernenko. The televised event shocked the public audience. On March 10, 1984, Konstantin Ustinovich Chernenko passed away as the shortest reigning leader of the Soviet Union. When told of his passing, U.S. President Ronald Reagan in the middle of the night was to have said, How am I supposed to get any place with the Russians if they keep dying on me? His burial in the Kremlin necropolis was the last such burial. They even dropped his coffin before they got there. The notice of his death was actually second-page news, as the headlines were the announcement of the ascension of the new leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev was born on March 2, 1931, to a Russian-Ukrainian peasant couple. He was born in the town of Privolnoy, a small town in Stavropol Krai, a place that was to have an enormous role in his later career. More on that later. Misha, as he was called, lived a hard early life. Both of his grandfathers were arrested during Stalin's great purge of the late 1930s, something that was to have a great impact on him. Another great calamity he was to face early on was the Nazi invasion of 1939. Gorbachev's father fought bravely in the Great Patriotic War, having been wounded twice. With his father out fighting, Misha and his mother worked the fields until the area was occupied by the Nazis. The time that Gorbachev began to shine and get the eye of the authorities was during the reconstruction of the country after the war. As a teenager, he was awarded the Order of Red Banner of Labor for heroic feats of work which is really rare for someone that young. He, with his father, brought in a record harvest in 1948. When in high school in 1950, he became a candidate member of the Communist Party. By 1952, he was a full-fledged member of the party. 
Few children from that area were able to get into advanced schools. But Michael, he was an exceptional child and teenager. He was admitted to the University of Moscow Law School. In 1951, he met a fellow student from the philosophy department, Ryza Maximovna Titarenko, whom he married in 1953. It was to be the love of his life, as he really deeply mourned her passing in 1999 at the age of 67 when he called her death the hardest blow ever. 1953 marked another event that helped shape Gorbachev's life, and that was the death of Stalin. While at the university when Stalin was alive, you were always careful with what you said, but things began to lighten up and liberalize, and there was more talk. As Gorbachev remembered it, quote, Before the university, I was trapped in my belief system, in the sense that I accepted a, dr a great deal as given, assumptions not to be questioned. At the university, I began to think and reflect and to look at things differently. But of course, that was only the beginning of a long process. Returning to Stavropol after graduating with honors, Gorbachev rose up the ranks of the Komsomol and later the Communist Party as well. By 1966, he had become the first secretary of the Stavropol region which was one of the most important events of his young life. The region was an area that many of the higher-ups in the Communist Party went to, to relax, to vacation, as it was littered with spas. Whenever men like Andropov or Suslov vacationed, it was Mikhail Gorbachev, the local party leader, that would greet them, which gave him an ability to make good impressions. Add to that that he and his wife were both extremely charming individuals and very ambitious. By 1971, he was a member of the Central Committee. In 1978, when one of Gorbachev's mentors died, Fyodor Kulikov, he was moved up the ladder once again and was sent to Moscow to head the agricultural department of the Stavropol region. In 1979, he was made a candidate member of the Politburo, with full membership coming into him the following year, 1980. By this time, Yuri Andropov had noticed the young man, so when he took over the leadership of the Soviet Union following Brezhnev's death in 1982, he brought the man closer to the center of power structure of the USSR. As I mentioned earlier, Gorbachev was the hand-picked successor to Andropov, but inner machinations gave that job to the ailing Chernenko. Some thought that this delay in taking over as the leader would harm his career, but quite the opposite happened as Gorbachev would chair many of the meetings of the Politburo when Chernenko could no longer attend due to his failing health. It also helped that his fellow Politburo members became acutely aware that they could no longer keep foisting old men onto the center stage, especially with so many problems facing them. So when Chernenko died, they had to put in a younger man, and with so few viable candidates, Gorbachev seemed to be the logical choice. Three men stood in his way, the 80-year-old Nikolai Tikhanov, Viktor Grishin, and the former first secretary of Leningrad, Grigory Romanov. They were all to be moved out in very short order. So on March 11, 1985, the Politburo 
chaired by Andrei Gromyko, unanimously elected Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev to be the first secretary of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, with a little fear that he would shake things up, but not knowing that the man in front of them would be at the helm of the dismantling of the country and would change the world geopolitical climate forever. Join me next time when we follow the early days of Gorbachev's reign and recount the enormous problems facing him and his countrymen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amazing to realize we're down to our last three rulers of the Russian people. But don't worry, it won't end with Putin. As I've mentioned a few times in the past, the podcast will take on a new direction that will be dealing with the history of Russia not having to do with the rulers. We're going to cover the many incredible events that shaped the nation and the many people who enriched the lives of their countrymen and the rest of the world. Now, don't forget to come over and join us on Facebook at the Russian Rulers History Fan Club page, where you can ask a question, make a comment, or leave a suggestion. So, as always, Tasvidanya i Spasiba Bolshoya.